and that's like our biggest weapon is like just allowing people to realize like what power they can have like like this is like i like to think of it as like a hydra i'm like if they cut off like one of our heads like five more people will sprout out because we're just trying to teach everybody how to do like do this work you know Okay, welcome to Brian Talks to Humans, a people's podcast about everyday people. Been a while since we had a regular episode. I'm glad I was able to get this done. Sorry that uh, it took so long. It's been an interesting few months here on my end. Probably the most important thing that happened um, was a low light. And that is a couple weeks ago I had to put Jasper to sleep. So I'm down to one dog these days. It was a really tough decision, but it was the right thing to do. But I hope everybody's holiday season is going well. I'm certainly enjoying the time off from work, including time to edit this episode. So one thing I think I'm going to do this season is sort of focus on what are socialists actually like, right? Like, I mean, I don't get too political on this podcast. It's a fun hobby, but you know I'm pretty far left. And then I'm a member of DSA. But too often people have, I think, a distorted view of what socialism is and who socialists are. And so at least a few episodes this season, I'm going to interview fellow socialists so you can get to know them better. That includes this episode's human, Daniel. He's a member of my DSA chapter, and I sat down with him and got to know him a little bit more. We talked about other things besides politics, like music and books. And I think you'll find the conversation interesting. At least I hope so. So here we are, back after a semi-intentional hiatus with another regular episode. Not an apology, not a Corona cast, not a fantasy football special, (laughs) but the type of scintillating content that you're used to. Okay, here's my conversation with Daniel. Okay, welcome to Brian Talks to Humans, a people's podcast about everyday people. Today's human is... Daniel Downing. All right, Daniel. I want to thank you for coming on. I appreciate you taking the time out on the weekend to uh, to have this conversation with me. No, no, it's my pleasure. So one of the things that I that I do in in the show is kind of get a sense for where people were at before I met them and and in different contexts they were in before the context that I know them. So you said you grew up in Jersey. Yes. Uh, I grew up in Ridgewood to be specific. Okay. What was that like? Uh, like Ridgewood is kind of like a bourgeois town. It's like everybody. Oh man. Like uh, pretty much everybody who lives here is uh, well off and like, I don't have to worry about any money. So like I got, I received like an excellent education, like through public schools and like I've, I've been very privileged as be set for to say the least mm-hmm. okay how do you think like when you were when you were growing up and you were going to school and stuff like that like what were what were you like did you fit in with a lot of these bourgeois people did you seem like you thought you maybe you were a little bit outside of it how, how did that go actually like i remember specifically in uh elementary school because there's like 
there's different levels of which rich like we're like my family is well off but like it's compared to like the super rich and i remember uh the first elementary school i went to was willard and like the richer people lived on the hill and i lived down there so there was a little bit of a disconnect there and my parents made me aware of that early on they're like oh that might be part of the problem why you don't fit in so well <laughs> so like i have early memories of that but you know but i was like just like a quiet quiet weird kid who didn't know how to communicate with people <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So what was high school like? High school, I was like definitely an outsider, like, you know, like smoking a lot of cigarettes outside. Didn't really like care much about going to class that well. Like my family situation wasn't great at the time. So that's probably the reason part of the disconnect. Also being 15 and all, like I just was just not in a great place. And Yeah, it's, that's a weird age to to be going through a lot of a lot of stuff because like you know you're sort of shaping your identity at that age. Oh, totally. And then, and then if there's other if there's other you know extenuating circumstances going on, it just makes the whole thing more difficult. Oh yeah, and the thing is like when you're 15, you don't realize that you when you're 15, you don't realize like how much you don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. my parents' relationship was really weird. They they stayed together much longer than they should have. And like the peak of like the weirdness of that was when I was in high school and I was like already struggling with like the things of being like 15 and all, like all of that. But like, I was trying to ask for help and I was like asking help from people who couldn't help themselves in the situation they were at the time. So mm. just added to the confusion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I can identify a little bit, you know, that, 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 like 14, 15, that's kind of when I started with the drugs. And, you know, I had some family stuff going on at the time, too. It was certainly a, a tumultuous period uh, for me, yeah. Yeah, like, being 15 sucks no matter who you are. But, like, dealing with, like, family stuff, like, looking back, it's like, oh, that actually had a much greater effect than I realized at the time. Mm-hmm. So they did they eventually split up, though? They all right, I'm like 31. They split up when I was like 28. <laughs> so. Oh, okay. Yeah, this went on for a while. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. And where'd you go? To, where'd you go to college? So what I what happened was like I didn't do well in high school, so I just went straight to Bergen Community College. Mm-hmm. I was like so in and out of it. Like I ended up like going to Bergen for like four years, and I originally tried going to college transferring out to Ramapo but tried my hand at being a literature major at the time mm-hmm. and the first semester went well and then like a really close friend of me passed away during that summer and like like my lack of interest in school just compounded and I just went to shit mm. and that's when I started going to like right in that period right after that I took a job at UPS as a package handler and started loading trucks at night which led me to uh, going for my second shot at college at William Patterson as a communications major. And that was much more successful of a route. Mm. Yeah, sometimes it takes a couple cracks. I, uh, I bounced around a bit. I, I went to like four different colleges. I, I, I tell people I was, I was trying to find myself. Oh yeah, totally. And I remember like at the time when I was like in school, like, like just getting like, a lot of advice from boomers and Xers being like, don't drop out of school. Like if you don't go, if you don't stay in, you're never going to go back, which turned out to be 
incredibly wrong advice in my time, but you listen to it. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, it's always there if you want to, if you're in the right situation, you know? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I know some people think it's harder that once you do leave that, that go, it's harder to, to get that motivation to go back. But, you know, like universals like that, you know, you know, they, they just don't apply to, to, to everybody. Uh, it doesn't apply to everybody. And like, I was much more suited to go to school ready to learn when I was like 26 opposed to when I was 22, you know? Yeah. No. Yeah. I feel you. Yeah. I went, I went away to school when I was 18 after like a year of County college and uh, I wasn't ready. And I just, you know, I, I, you know, I, I failed my first class ever, you know, and uh, it was just drunk and high the whole time. (laughs) Just wasn't really, wasn't really making too much use of um, me, my time and my parents' money. So, Exactly. <laughs> I, I came home shortly after that that's for sure yeah and uh bounced around and then I finally finally transferred to Rutgers and finished out there but yeah I was much I was much more ready later on I mean it was it was still continuous but like I didn't really get serious about school till I was like 22 yeah, totally. yeah. I saw you have a tie-dye shirt on and you were holding a guitar before we started talking so are you also a musician and what kind of shirt is that i'm wearing a grateful dead t-shirt right now yes i was hoping i was hoping all right my people. grateful dead shirt that i bought at bonnaroo <laughs> that's funny yeah yeah i played guitar and it's just something i've done as a hobby i've never gotten serious about it but yeah, like music is kind of like when i wasn't going to class in high school like i was pretty much just delving into records so like that's where like a lot of my education came from in high school just learning like mainly bands and stuff like that you know where'd where'd you get turned on to to bands like the dead well like my dad's brother he like i remember when i was in fifth grade like i fell in love with the beatles my dad's brother is like a big music guy and he's like oh let me brainwash him into listening to all these great bands and like he, he he's much into the harder stuff but he also is a big deadhead so like mm-hmm. but like yeah he used to buy me records like uh acdc nirvana and like guns and roses and stuff like that and be like you should listen to the clash <laughs> love the clash yes the clash are fantastic nice so um what year did you what year did you go to bonnaroo i went to bonnaroo three years in a row from like 2013 14 15 yeah okay uh, yeah, a lot of people don't realize when Bonnaroo first started, like in like '02 and '03, it was still pretty much part of that jam band scene. Uh, it was like a strictly jam band thing. Like, yeah, yeah. And then it it has evolved so much, so much since then. Yeah, the music culture is like the festival culture took over. Well, at the t- like the first year I went to Bonnaroo, I saw Paul McCartney, and I had like this realization: is like Paul McCartney is like a like a prime act like so normally like a guy working class guy like me like based on my own salary at the time would never be able to see paul mccartney mm-hmm. because of festivals like that he is like people a lot of kids are able to go see paul mccartney because i real i had the thought at the time while watching that he's like oh he usually doesn't play to audience this audiences this young mm-hmm. you know uh, yeah that's very true you know and festivals are good for like seeing acts like that i was like able to see billy joel and like elton john and like stuff like that mm. yeah and and I, I used to go to a small one that that mo threw up in upstate new york 
and called Modown. And uh, oh, okay. yeah, they um, they would have acts come through there that I just you know would not have seen otherwise. Oh know? yeah, totally. You know, um, even if they were playing the second stage or something like that, and you know, turn me on to a lot of cool stuff that I that I wouldn't normally have gotten into. Yeah, like uh, the one act that I like came away came away loving was uh, Cloud Nothings because they're very similar to one of my favorite bands. Me and my friend are big Dinosaur Jr. fans and mm-hmm. we're like, oh, that sounds like Dinosaur Jr. And we just wandered by there and we're like, oh, I'm a fan of this band now. <laughs> okay. I, I'll, have to, I'll have to check them out. I remember listening to a little bit of Dinosaur Jr. when I was in high school. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was like, like 94 around there or something like that. Uh, yeah. That was like after Lou left, but like they got back together when I was in high school, so that's when those records came out. And I just like, oh, I didn't realize they, they – okay, all right. They reunited with the original lineup, and they re-released those records, so that's when I found them. Mm. And I just remember reading, like, the music reviews for it, and it's like, the guitar is big, and it sounds louder than eh, louder than anything. Like, one song, it sounds like an airplane is going off, and I'm like, I'm like, I got to listen to this record. Mm. And it was like, they're living all over me, and – like the record starts off with like a wah guitar and just like them screaming, screaming at you. I'm like, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> so did you kick around in any bands or, or you just kind of play as a hobby? I just play as a hobby. Like just never materialized in anything. Mm-hmm. Right on. Now, now, how are you about like putting in the time to get good? Cause I've tried playing musical instruments. I'm a huge music head. And I've always wanted to play an instrument, but I guess I never wanted to play it enough to actually have the discipline to get good. I'll like pick up an instrument, not get good at it, and then say, this fucking sucks, and then put it away. Well, for the longest time, I just had like an acoustic guitar around because I just like playing songs I know and just basic chords and stuff. But at the beginning of this pandemic, I actually am like, hey, there's time to get good. So... Like what you realize with a guitar is like if you put in the time with it, you can get significantly better really fast if you like put like four hours a day into it, you know, like you can realize like the improvement you can make and within 15 minutes is pretty incredible. Hmm. And that's really addicting. It's like, oh, I can I'm that much better just in like the span of 20 minutes. I must have really been bad, though. <laughs> 20 minutes didn't do much for me. <laughs> well, like. With the basics, with like, uh, with the basics with like guitar and something like that, it's about just like developing your muscles to be able to do that. Yeah. The hardest like chord change to do when you're a beginner is like D to G and vice versa because your muscles just like aren't aren't able to do it. So you have to learn. You have to build up like that muscle to do it. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I have small hands, and I and I don't like. I didn't like my fingers getting hurt on the strings from holding them down. Oh yeah. So I, I, I bailed. I was, I was, I was a wimp. So do you have a favorite guitarist of all time? I got, I got to go with Angus Young. My favorite okay. band of all time is ACDC. So. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. And you said you got into them from, from your dad's brother. Yeah. Okay. Any favorite song by them? Well, like one of my favorite, my favorite song by them is uh, Bad Boy Boogie off the live record with the original singer, Bon Scott, because it's like the fiercest thing I've ever heard. And the groove is just so tight. And 
it just keeps building on on energy of on a, the energy just keeps building out throughout the whole song and that's like when angus would have like his set piece when he would like strip down naked <laughs> and just do like guitar licks and then like come storming back after that whole set piece was done so i'm gonna write that down because i don't i mean i've heard most of the hits with acdc i don't think i've heard i recommend like listening to that live record it's like before highway to hell so it doesn't have those songs on it but like the second side of that record is just i don't think there's a record i've listened to more in my life do you mess with vinyl these days or or yes i did mess with vinyl but i do not have a turntable Mm. so like i put the hobby on hold right now Mm. yeah i have a modest maybe a couple hundred records uh and and a turntable i don't I don't listen to it enough because I'm too busy doing other things. That, um, but I like the fact that when I do, it kind of forces me to, you know, take the time and listen because yeah, I'm that's not the really. Final. You have to yeah. take the time and focus on it. It's like uh, not like when you're like listening on your head, like just on the stereo, and you're like cooking and stuff. Like your yeah. final record, it's like only 30 minutes. Like m- normally they're like 35 minutes. So you just like take the time to commit to the record, like you're like watching a TV show or something. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like, I like that, like you can't like skip, skip a song, you know, or like, yeah. So like record, they had to make records that were great back then. Like you like find in the nineties when they like uh, had the ability to go to CD, they would just like put like 80 minutes worth of stuff on that. And like records didn't need to be that long. Like mm-hmm. you look at all like those Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin records are only like 10 songs long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what other what other um, bands do you get into besides some of the ones that we've talked about? I hate this question because my my uh, love of music is just completely vast. Same, yeah. No, I I hear you. So like when people are like, oh, so what type of music do I listen to? I'm like, I don't know how to answer that because what uh, my Spotify playlist uh, told me is like this is your five genres. It's like indie rock, rock, country pop music and uh just folk music so okay oh so, yeah. so you're all over the place like me all right yeah so and so here's the true test of whether or not you're you're a human being worthy of love uh do you like fish yes i love fish <laughs> all right my people okay that is the band i've seen the most in my life me too all right and i used to hate them <laughs> yeah how'd yeah. that, how'd that change? Uh, there was like this podcast called Analyze Fish, mm-hmm. and the premise of it was like uh, one of the guys from uh, one of the writers of Parks and Rec would talk to Scott Ackerman about try to get him into fish, and I initially got into it. I'm like, oh, it's just gonna be a guy dumping on fish, and then like Harris Weddles was like just like making good arguments about the music, and he just made a fish show sound like a good time, and it was like it's a a lot of like all of my experiences to go to Bonner and I'm like, you know something? There might be something here to this. And eventually I was won over by fish. I can't deny Trey, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, as far as I'm concerned, he's, he's one of the best. Oh dude. He's incredible. Mm-hmm. They're all incredible musicians. Like uh, when they did the Baker's dozen were, when they did the Baker's dozen at MSG, I went to like five of those shows. Yeah, yeah, I went to a bunch too. Uh huh. Yeah, that was that was uh, that was great. That was you know it was one of those things where like 
I had tickets for the first and and the last, thinking right. like like okay, I'll go to the first, I'll go to the last, that'll be. And then I just was like, no, I I need to no, I need to go. This is history making. Like I need to go to oh, more. Oh, it totally was, and it was such a unique experience because you, when you would go to those shows, or like you would meet people from all over the country, mm-hmm. because that was the summer tour that year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just love the way jam bands do concerts as opposed to other bands because they have that set break and that set break builds community with, with one another because you have to talk to people around you mm-hmm. to wait for the band to come back on stage. And mm-hmm. that's completely unique to how Fish and the Dead do, do things. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. love all other, all other kinds of music, like seeing all other kinds of music live, but that's something they do specifically that builds community and it's awesome. You fuck with Umphreys? No, I have not. Okay. Yeah. They're 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 interesting too. They're they're an, an interesting mix of uh, influences, and some people love them. Some people are like, eh, not really my thing. So, yeah. You know, like the thing is, there's so much music out there, and there's so much great music out there, and it's just a shame that I can't listen to it all. Mm. Now, do you think that besides the influence of your your father's brother, do you think music has been, how can I put this? Like, I'll, I'll tell you what it, what it was for me for, for years, especially during those, those teenage years we were talking about was an escape. You know, it was, it was medicine for yep. like bullshit that was going on. And it was a way for me to just kind of disconnect, but like also connect to something huge and great and wonderful. Has it been sort of like that for you? Oh, totally. And it's made the bad times it's made the bad times suck less. Mm-hmm. And the reason like ACDC is my favorite band of all time is because when I'm feeling good, they can make me feel great. Though, like, there's all, like, if you look at my Spotify, like, the, my most listened artist of all time is Bob Dylan. So, like, mm-hmm. I like to be reflective and just, it, music can just do open so many doors to you that you didn't even realize were possible you know mm-hmm. so. i agree no yeah it's it's been like that for for me too um i i don't listen as much as i should these days i'm too busy doing other other stuff that isn't as fulfilling <laughs> yeah but uh but yeah no it, it's it's been part of uh part of my journey for sure so uh when you when you did communications in in college did you uh did you get any uh, employment in that area coming out? No, I did not. Okay. What What drew you to communications, and and what do you think was the, maybe some of the coolest stuff that you learned there? Uh, like uh, my first uh, my first go around at college, I was a lit major because like I wanted to analyze books. So I'm like the second closest thing was like media studies, where you would get to take film classes, and I'd much rather take a major where I get to write and instead of taking tests because I hate taking tests. Mm-hmm. I rather much write a paper and state my argument about how things are going, you know, instead of being tested on trivia. That's how I, how, how I feel most tests are. It's like a bunch of trivia that you hold on to for like 15 minutes, but you don't really learn something. And the difference between like an essay is like, you can build like the communicate, you can build an argument and, having to build an argument is like, I feel is a better reflection of like your knowledge on something. 
for sure mm-hmm. and just regurgitating facts yeah i try to i try to make the stuff that i do as least regurgitative as possible you know with uh, with my students um i kind of have the same same outlook on on things so so then after this this last go round with college uh is that and then shortly thereafter um covid hit right so college i was uh i finished my last semester in 2018 January 2019, I start the job that I was doing right now because I'd lived in my parents' house for way too long and I just wanted to take something that would get me out of the house. Mm-hmm. Like, so I took like a, this delivery job, this truck driving job that would give me enough of a salary to uh, live on my own for a while. And like before COVID, I was like prepping up my resume and trying to sharpen it so I could start like finding another course of avenue of work, you know, mm-hmm. COVID hit and like, at least I know this and what I'm making and I can plan for the future like this. You know? mm-hmm. So, so how, how else has, has this pandemic impacted you? How has life changed uh, due to, due to COVID-19 and, and all the stuff that came along with it? Oh my God, what hasn't changed. But uh, like the mm-hmm. first thing is I was living in Bloomfield then I decided to move back because I realized like initially I thought like COVID would be like this two month thing. So I'm like, Oh, I'll just move back with my mom for the time being. And then I'm like, I realized I was saving so much money and like paying off my debts. Mm. that I'm like, I'm just going to fully move down here and just ride out the end of this COVID thing. Then so I got really into music. And then my plan was like, Oh, I'm just going to, learn it. I'm just gonna get good. I'm gonna get good at guitar. And then the George Floyd thing happened. And that's like when I started to get involved in the protests uh, uh, this year and really started becoming more of an activist. Mm -hmm. And so, so the context that I know you from is, is in as a member of, of DSA. So what drew you to socialism? All right. Now we have to go through my political journey. It's a long one. I actually started off as a conservative in uh, in high school. One of the main reasons for that is like my so called my my dad's brother who gave me music is was a conservative, and so was my dad. So, um, like I really had no political identity at the time. So like I just gravitated towards that, and oh so my thing was like you're looking at me right now. I'm like wearing flannel, like red dead shirt, and like a lot of hair. Like people just like assumed I was like a stoner the entire time entirety of my high school I'm like no and I'm, I'm not and that that lynched a ho- crawl on my thing and I hated that people always assumed that I was a liberal mm. and like I just I couldn't stand that so it was more of like a defiance thing like conservatism is like the new punk rock type of thing and but it's <laughs> it's and so like I kind of like eased off on that when I was like 22 and then, like, 25, like, I saw, like, like that's when uh, Donald Trump uh, rose to prominence. I'm like, I want nothing to fucking do with that. So, like, I started drifting more and more left. And throughout, like, this whole four years, I'm like, yeah, shit is really bad. <laughs> like, this country does not work in the way it is supposed to work for the people. And... As I've stated before, I've like worked labor jobs and, you know, saw that 
how people actually got to live when I was like living in Bloomfield. It's stark contrast to like how I live in Ridgewood because I lived in Bloom on the part of Bloomfield I lived in. I was like living on the edge of the North Ward of Newark. In Newark, I, I like would like see homeless people a lot more often and be like, this is very inappropriate. Like just driving through uh, Newark, you just see a, uh, the thing that kills me is like just seeing the people who go down like the lanes between the cars with the cart, with the, with the cups of change. And I'm like, this is not the way it was supposed to, this is not the way things are supposed to be. You know? it's, it's unacceptable that the richest country in the world allows this to happen. And, but I was like always like ready, like to like get into the activist spirit. But like, since I was like warming up, I wasn't ready to go full lefty yet. So like I was a liberal for like most of the last four years. And it's not really an ideology that uh, really advocates for uh, getting out into the public and making change. So like the dam really burst when um when the Black Lives Matter hit time hit this time, like that's when I finally got involved in protest and like an act of solidarity. Because the first protest I went to in the city was uh, last day of May and a Sunday, and it was since it was COVID, it was like the first time I'd seen been in public with people in months. Mm. And this, I had like this beautiful realization. I'm like, oh, I'm not like the only person who feels like I, who feels like, like things are just completely fucked up and you see like just people of all different backgrounds coming together to fight injustice. And that's overwhelmingly powerful, especially when that's your first taste of community in like three months, you know? Mm. And that just kept spurring me on like, Oh my God, like it opened up avenues within myself that I didn't know existed. And the bill, the biggest thing that made me, the biggest, the thing that uh, broke the dam of me being a socialist is uh, I watched the documentary uh, 13th, 13th, you know, the Ivita Borne thing about the prison abolition. And I'm like, I was talking to my friend about it afterwards and he's like, he's like, I'm like, we were like talking about prisons and like, yeah, that's never going to like, it's n- never going to get better because people have just profit off of this. And my friend, my best friend is like, hey, it's capitalism. And I'm like, I had like what alcoholics call a moment of clarity. <laughs> Capitalism is, was, has always been like the root of all evil. And that's when I finally uh, just, I'm like, yeah, I was, I was 30 years old and I'm like, oh, this is my political ideology that I've been looking for my entire life, you know, mm. that I'm mostly anti-capitalist, you know, and I believe socialism is like the best antidote for it. Mm. And the way I led, I got into DSA is I uh, just see like good comrades like highlighted and they were doing a good job of advertising. They're like, you know something, just get into your uh, local chapter. And one of the other things I did, uh, one of the activism things I did is in, in Ridgewood uh, in our district, uh, we're ran by like a shit Democrat named Josh Gottenheim. And we had a pretty, a really good candidate run a progressive candidate run named Artie Cryback. Oh, I, got, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I got I started volunteering on that. I remember like the first day I volunteered I had like a total horrible day at work and I just like felt terrible about myself. And I 
just started text and uh, the thing I signed up to is just texting people about it. And I felt so much better. So about how I was doing that day. So I just like started volunteering like, like crazy for that. Like I did like the, the version of canvassing we had to do in COVID, which is like just leave door hangers, like with pamphlets with her face on it, saying, sitting like Josh Gottenheimer sucks. <laughs> so like I got really into just like holding, just like, like doing door drops like that and just like feeling just so much positive energy to like the last day when like people actually elected i was like a poll watcher where i just stood outside my local polling place with a sign that said vote for Artie," which was pretty interesting experience because like it was it was surprising how much reaction i got from just people driving down the street being like being like yay or boo like I was like stunned by like the 18 year old boys who were like, had like a real opinion about it. But since they were driving by and like, I really couldn't get into it. I just was like, it's just kind of getting yelled at by, by drive by. <laughs> but the best part about that was like a girl walked in, she saw me holding the sign and she came out and she was like, Hey, I voted for your guy. I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, no, I voted for, for whoever that is. And I'm like, Oh, that's awesome. I had like, sway in the political process and that was so i like what led me to dsa was like i saw that our north chapter uh that our, our specific chapter in north jersey chapter uh endorsed already cried back and i'm like oh these must be good people so i i i looked into it and i'm like you know something i'm gonna start paying my dues and uh get involved and it's been an incredible experience so far Right on. So what kinds of things have you gotten into since you, since you joined? Well, I'm now a part of like the, the first thing I got involved with was the refund defund campaign. Because like, that's the thing that broke my activism. Mm -hmm. Like that's the thing that started. I'm like, all right, like I really want to get involved in that. And then I am a part of the comms committee, which uh, deals with the communication accent. the communicated aspect of our, our chapter. So we're running the social media and whatnot. Like mm-hmm. I found like, I've personally found a niche within our chapter where I handle most of the press releases. So I've oh. had a in the, writing the press releases, which it's like, Oh, I'm finally getting to use my college degree, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For like when uh, the election happened, uh, I remember like I wrote up like five different press releases for potential scenarios of like if Trump won or Biden won. And it was really awesome because it, it wasn't all relying on me. People were like editing it and making it like putting their ideas into it. So it was like a collaborative ac- effort. Mm. It's like really intoxicating to me. Mm. So getting back to, to COVID for a little bit, what, how, what would you like to see happen in the world after this is over? That's a big question. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think I want more class consciousness. Like I want to, I want people to be very aware of like the rich have profited like immensely off of this disaster and the people they're profiting off are suffering and the way they are able to make those profits is off the suff- off the backs of people who are suffering. Like the working class, like, the people who like for instance like i've worked throughout this entire pandemic so like i've seen like it all like the real working class thing and i'm like 
there's so many people we take for granted in the society that keeps it going. And mm. I don't think people are aware of that. Like mm. people get to work from home and like, there's people out there. If like they stroke, if they decided to organize and strike together, it bring society, it would bring what we know as society to its knees. Like there's mm. like so many people that just, they need something to help get by. And I want clash consciousness and like, like the working class is so important to anything functioning and we need to take care of them, you know? Mm. Right on. You know, cause I remember at the beginning of this thinking that there was these glimpses that maybe we could have a, a different world after, because I would see things like, you know, people talking about canceling rent and people talking about decriminalizing drugs and, you know, and, and I had this like motto back then, like if it's bullshit now, it can be bullshit later too. Like when we get out of this, we can live in a world that doesn't evict people. You know, we can live in a world that, you know, doesn't imprison people. And right. So, and then somewhere along the way, I don't know, I kind of, it kind of felt like as things started getting a little more back to normal. Yeah. That like, maybe that wasn't going to happen. That maybe we're just going to, like you look at like the first like stimulus checks, like it was unanimous. It went through Congress like without a problem, and now we're like getting caught up in like the details of it. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's ridiculous, you know? Right, and they're giving people six hundred dollars, half the it's amount. Not, it's like twelve hundred dollars, which is just like it's unreal. Like you look at Canada, though, like they're paying people to stay home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's an insane argument that's coming from the right. It's like the way I view it is like. They want to make it, we need to sacrifice people to the gods of the economy. I'm like, this is, this is how it works. Right. Final is specifically holding out. So businesses don't get sued by employees who get sick. That's his holdout, which is unconscionable. It's like. Mm -hmm. And I struggle sometimes to think about like the resistance that some people have to take that next step and say, well, then maybe the problem is the society that we've set up that has organized itself in such a way where for the owner, for the economy to be healthy, people have to die. A society that we've set up that is organized in such a way where human needs aren't met first, where profits matter more. You know, a society that we've set up that's organized in, yeah. in such a way that we have, you know, people having to choose between, well, I can go to work and maybe die from COVID, uh, but uh, but at least I'll have food on my table, or I can stay home and maybe I'll starve. You know, like I, I'm I'm hoping that, and maybe it's just hard to see because it's gonna it, it's it's a little more gradual than I'd like it to be. But I'm hoping that the the light bulb's gonna go on for some people, and maybe that's the job of some socialists to help that light bulb go on. That the problem isn't X, Y, or Z. The problem is the system itself. Yeah. Well, that's like the big problem. Like, the way I look at it, like, I come from Ridgewood, like, where neoliberalism, like, won out here. Like, this is, like, where it worked. Like, my mom, I remember talking to her about the election, like, beforehand. She's like, oh, I don't like, I don't like Trump because he's too far right. And I don't like Bernie because he's just too far left. And I just want somebody right in the middle, like, somebody in the middle of that happy place. And, like, I think a lot of people, there's a lot of boomers and older Xers who are thinking that like something, someone like my mom, like 
neoliberalism worked out pretty well for her. She now lives in like an upper class neighborhood. She was like able to jump classes and she can't conceive of like why people would need help in that sort of way. And a lot, I think there's a lot of older people who just can't conceive of the world working another way. Even like a lower class people are like, no, this is like rugged individualism. Like this is the way it's been. Mm-hmm. And can't, con- they're like, this is the way the world is, you know, that's like already baked in. And it's really hard to make people realize like, like they don't want like how this system doesn't work, you know, mm-hmm. it took me a long time, you know, it took sure. me 50 years, you know? Yeah. So let's, let's, let's now move to the lighter side of things. Any, uh, any media that you're consuming during the pandemic that, that uh, you're liking that you'd recommend? My thing is like, I like to read a lot. So okay. I'm really into uh, the brand, uh, into uh, this fantasy author named Brandon Sanderson. I'm really into his Cosmere universe and he writes massive tomes of books. Yeah. His idea of the Cosmere are these interconnected books like the Marvel Universe that uh, will pay off in like 30 years, but his main series is the Stormlight Archive, and those are all like 900 pages books. I understand why people wouldn't want to jump right into that, so I'm going to recommend something else in that universe called Mistborn, which is only like 600 pages. It's like about a, a planet where uh, where the skies are always black and like the sun is always red and everything is covered in ash. And these, there's these people called, there's these people who can use metals to give them powers, like, so they can jump off a ship. And like, there's certain, certain people who are born called Mistborns who can use the powers of all metals. Like some metals have the ability to influence people. Some metals enable people to jump off of things. So, so they can basically assimilate fly, flying. And I think that's an, like an excellent starting point into his books. And, but the book series that I'm going through right now is Robert Jordan's uh, Wheel of Time series, which Brandon Sanderson helped finish. Mm. All the books are extremely long and it's an incredible commitment, but mm. really, in, I just read the sixth book and I'm like, that's the book that was like, you know something, I'm going to finish this thing right now. Yeah. Right on. I, I really wish I, I like I was kind of hope not. I mean, like kind of hoping because you don't really hope anything in this pandemic. But like I was I was thinking that, you know, with with the extra free time, I'd read more. And it, it and it just hasn't worked out. I go through these phases where I have a lot of trouble sitting and concentrating on oh. reading. And I, I'm in one of those phases where it's, it's it, it was it's been difficult. Like early on in the pandemic, I could consume like some socialist articles and stuff. But like to sit there and read a, a book like was really hard, and uh, it still is, and it's I get easily distracted. What I learned about myself, so this works for me, is like during this pandemic, I'm like, if I hit like 50 pages, I feel good about myself. I'm like, you know, if you read 50, if you work all day and you read 50 pages a day, you're gonna finish like a three 300 page book in like in a week. Yeah, that's true. You know, if like you just hit that goal and you're like, all right, you know. I felt good about the reading I did and I enjoyed it. And I've like stretched that goal like crazy much. Like I've been off this week and I'm like showing you like the size of this thing. Like all these books in this series are like this side. And like, I'm like, you know, something because I wasn't working, I was able to read like 400 pages a day, (laughs) just breaking them into like little 50 page chunks, like every like 45 minutes, like, 
read 50 pages, like surf the internet and maybe watch a movie and read 50 more pages. And you cover a lot of ground like that. Mm. Now those books have been around for a long time, right? Robert Jordan. Yeah. He started the series in uh, like the early nineties and the series got so long that he actually passed away before he was able to finish it. Mm. And the author I was talking about, Brandon Sanderson came in and like finished it and apparently to like great acclaim. It's a, this series specifically is getting like an Amazon series and Oh, okay. Yeah. They were filming and they got shut down because of COVID, but yeah. so like, cause I remember working in a bookstore like in the early two thousands in college and, uh, and Robert Jordan books being, being there from what I can remember. So yeah, that, that registers. Yeah. I thought they'd been around for. for yeah. Over. It's like 14 books long and like all the, like, the series in total, the word count is like 4 million words. Mm. Mm. So what, what got you into to the fantasy genre, you think? I mentioned this before, like a, a friend who passed away. Like one of his uh, really big things at the time is like, you got to get, get into Game of Thrones. You got to really get into Game of Thrones. Like, all right, okay, whatever. And I finally did it. And I'm like, all right. And I started reading books. He passed away when I was in the middle of the third book and it hurt for a while. And I'm like, all right, you know something I had to decide to finish this. And it turned out to be like my favorite book that I've read in that series. And that was like the first book I've read that was like a thousand pages long. Mm. And so like, I, I kind of think like the fantasy genre is like part in like him keeping his memory alive, but like that book Mistborn, I like, was telling you about like the plot of that book is about like there's been like this tyrannical ruler who's been in power for so long and a group of people decide to come up with a heist to usurp that power which was like a very which was during the era of trump was like very appealing <laughs> mm, yeah mm -hmm. yeah that's one of the reasons i asked because i know that sci-fi and fantasy have, have well yeah like science fiction's my shit yeah, I mean, I, I know I know a lot of folks who are into like um, Octavia Butler and Ursula Le Guin. Yeah, I read Left Hand of Darkness this year. That's it's pretty highly recommended. It's she was pretty ahead of the curve on like how we think about gender. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Left Hand of Darkness. I'm gonna write that one down too. Yeah, the Left Hand of Darkness. Like it's about this like, guy in the society who. He, he, he's like doing like an ambassador mission like for like like a normal star trek episode where he's like oh come join our federation and he gets involved on in this planet where like uh, people are kind of genderless and they can kind of choose their gender during mating periods it's pretty fascinating oh okay yeah, out. the other thing i have a problem with is fiction in general oh yeah yeah i have i i, I reading nonfiction works well for me i have trouble staying with with fiction i'm not really sure why some people like i can read everything like like this robert jordan series like i i like put it down for a while and for most of the summer i was reading like non-fiction like theory and like so like i just followed my interest at that time but like for fiction that's like how i started getting into reading so i believe that we need to like come up with like fictional stories to describe better describe the the better describe the world that we live in mm. I, can, better, I can do that yeah you know it better communicates like 
better contextualize like how wild and chaotic this world is. So you said you were getting into theory. What kind of stuff were you reading? Uh, like the basics, like Carl. Uh, I, read, I read like like at my job, like I listened to like State and Revolution by Lenin. Oh, okay. But like I started reading like a communist manifesto and I went through state and revolution. I'm like, you know, something I have to read capital. So I've been like going through capital slowly lately. I don't think there's any other way to go through capital except slowly. Yeah. Like I'm like, I can't like do what I do with these, like these fantasy novels and just like read 200 pages a time. Like I need to commit like an hour where I read like just a chapter of this, like once Mm. a week. So I fully process it. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a legion of, of books and other videos and stuff like that, that help people even interpret and understand capital. Oh, uh, like the David Harvey stuff. Yeah. 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 yeah I've been like watching like the first three chapters. Those are the, like the really hard things where he talks about like commodity, like the movement of commodities and whatnot. And you're like, mm-hmm. I'm not sure, really sure I understand what he's saying, but I get the gist of what he's saying, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, one of our uh, comrades, uh, Jacob, jokes that capital is kind of like the terms and Apple terms and conditions for the left. Oh, <laughs> we all accept it. We just don't read it. You know, like we accept yeah. that, that it's true and, and all that. We just don't yeah, take the time to read it. I forget which chapter I was like reading where, like, he when he's talking about like, surplus value, like his underlying point in explaining that is like, oh, this is like. This is like why they want to exploit you. Like, mm-hmm. and there was like a chapter where he was like talking about like I forget what the specific terms were, but he's like basically like talking about how labor in itself decays, like actual human labor. So the reason why it's like he the reason why relationships are encouraged within a capitalist society is so we can replace labor. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's kind of a mind-blowing thing. It's like we're just cattle just to keep this machine going. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, that's certainly a, a a mountain to climb there. Reading reading Capital, I I admire you. I've taken a few stabs at it, and much like guitar, put it down. <laughs> it's, well, like the last chapter I was reading is like the Working Day, and it's insane what he was talking about. He was like talking about like how. Uh, people about child labor and like how these people would like would like force children to work overnight and like for insane hours and that was like the radical thing he was arguing against and like if you saw somebody talk about it's like yeah we should like have children just working all night like it would be laughed out of society right now yeah yeah. you know Mm. like this is like the crazy radical my conservative dad has been like like you can't read that guy hmm Right, yeah, yeah. You know, the guy who was, like, advocating against child labor. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. Some of these libertarians, you, you never know what, what, they'll, what they say is okay these days, you know. <laughs> so, um, in the next, say, I don't know, like, five years, you know, um, assuming in, a, like, a year and a half or so, we're we're pretty much out of, out of COVID and the vaccines are working and that sort of thing. Where do you see, um, I guess, socialism going or, or, or where do you see the, the, the key struggles are or where should socialists focus on? Like what's, what do you think is on the menu coming up? The basics is just like 
continue to organize within labor because as I said earlier, like they hold so much power. Like imagine if all the Amazon employees just stopped working, Mm -hmm. like how much that would just cut into profits. Like just encouraging working class people to be like, just teaching them like, this is how they exploit you. And this is like their game. They try to, they try to point out that your, 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 your coworkers being lazy or whatnot, because like, that's like the thing you get annoyed by when you can see it. But what's actually happening is they're trying to pit us together so they can just keep our wages lower. So as long as like we keep working on that, but I've heard some really encouraging things from like the electoral working group side. We had like a chat with a, some uh, some of the comrades from the NYC side of things talk about like how they were doing like uh, their electoral work. And the most encouraging thing I heard is like our whole goal of what we're trying to do is just teach people so they can do it and they can teach us. And I feel like that's something that the right can't do because they're so prioritized about meritocracy. Like this person has to be the one who does it, you know? Mm. And that's like our biggest weapon. It's like just allowing people to realize like what power they can have. Like, like this is like, I like to think of it as like a Hydra. I'm like, if they cut off like one of our heads, like five more people will sprout out because we're just trying to teach everybody how to do, like do this work, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I dig that for yourself. Where do you think, um, I hate to have a question, like where do you see yourself in the next few years? But like when when COVID, um, you know, lifts and and things are, are a little bit more back to normal, what do you see? Um, what do you see yourself doing as far as your pursuits? Whether it's, you know, not that you're defined by employment, but you know, things well, that we, things we that define you... ourselves by employment. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, what do you what do you what do you want to what do you want to do when this is when this is done? Like, where do you, what do you personally want to uh, want to get into? Personally, uh, like in terms of like a clear future, I've been like saving up money and I'm planning on taking like a trip to Europe because I'm like debt free now. So Mm. I'm like, I have like the opportunity to to, like do this. So I'm like, just like quit my job right now and just like do like two months in Europe and come back and figure out things from there what I want to do is like get more into electoral work, maybe, maybe even possibly run for office someday because oh. I see myself, I, I, I don't understand why I see myself like doing that, but I would, I get really excited by electoral work. Like what I was saying earlier, like you don't know how much more joy it brought me to like have somebody like be like, yeah, you changed my mind on both. You know, hmm. I get really energized by it. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, and uh, at least um, I think there's some debate uh, among us as to how big a slice of the pie electoral work should be. But I think all of us. Oh, are totally. Slice, no, you know? I agree with that, but mm-hmm. I think uh, the main focus should be labor organizing. But there should be folks focusing on electoral work. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, carve out uh, an hour or so on your weekend and. Um, have a talk with me about all sorts of things that have to do with uh, your life. So we're going to play a little bit of a game here. All right. 
I have these cards that I use with students sometimes in this, like it's a deck of like icebreaker cards and there's different ones like random and would you rather and if you could and, and that sort of thing. And then there's, then there's a category that they call deep. So do you want to get deep or do you want to do something frivolous? Let's go deep. Okay. What do you regret not doing when you were younger? Going to class. (laughs) (laughs) Now knowing like what it, what it took to be successful in college because I did do very well. It's like, I should have just done the work. It's, it's amazing. Just like what I've learned, like how much just showing up is Mm. part of it, you know? Mm -hmm. No, I feel you. I feel you. All right. Well, I appreciate you taking your time and uh, to have this conversation with me and I look forward to seeing you more uh, online and hopefully uh, offline after, uh, after COVID. Oh, totally. In solidarity, comrade. Okay. So that's my conversation with fellow socialist, Daniel. I hope you enjoyed this episode, at least for the next few months. I'm probably only going to be able to crank out an episode once or twice a month. So I appreciate your patience and your understanding. You can go to bryantalksofhumans.net for more info, including ways to support the podcast by making small donations through Patreon. I've got a mortgage to pay these days, so every penny helps. As always, thanks for listening, and stay human. (laughs) 